I'm happy to be here this morning and uh, to share God's word because, again, um, I, I, I believe it to be true that um, we have our plans and God has his plan. And uh, oftentimes in, in ministry, um, God has unexpected things that he, uh, he wants you to do. And oftentimes we just have to uh, say yes and say, um, God, I trust that you are in control and that you're bigger and that you're going to do what you need to do. So this morning, instead of getting into our, our series on guardrails um, and talking about the heart, if you uh, were coming and you're like, oh, I'm excited, you know, the series and I'm, you know, we're focusing on that, we're, we're actually not doing that this morning. But uh, you still got time at 10.30 over in Manuka. They're going to be doing that. And so if, if you want to just go now and just head to that service, check it out. Or you could just watch it a little bit later on uh, online. You can check out Pastor Earl's message because he's going to be, uh, they've, they've been preaching on the same thing. Um, they'll be doing that. But, but today we're going to be jumping into uh, the book of, of Ruth. So if you have a Bible or your Bible app, you can jump into the book of Ruth. And I'll explain a little bit about uh, why. Like, hey, Jason, why did you pick Ruth? Is that just a sermon that you just keep in your back pocket for times when you get called upon to, to preach at the last minute? And um, it's not, but... Um, I've been, uh, as some of you know, um, I was, as I mentioned, just voted in as uh, associate pastor last weekend, which is super fun. Still figuring out exactly what associate pastor means. Apparently it means this, right? <laughs> associate pastor means like, hey, it's 6 p.m. on Saturday and the preacher's out and so you're in. And so, um, so I'm here. But uh, part of it is because uh, my, my wife and I, my whole family, has been on this, this journey over the last um, almost two years toward pursuing a, uh, a chaplaincy in the Army. And um, we're still headed that direction. I joined the Army earlier this year in a reserve capacity, and so I've been drilling and working as a, a basically a, a chaplain intern for a reserve unit in our area, actually up by, by Midway. And we felt, um, we feel God's calling this toward that direction. That's a whole nother story. But part of that was I had to go back and finish my Masters of Divinity. And so that was, that journey started last January of 2020. And I knew it was going to take about a year and a half. So up till August to, to do that. And, and uh, so one of the classes I took was Hebrew, which uh, was a lot of fun. I actually love language learning and, and especially biblical languages and learning to, to study the original text and, um, and all that. And this summer, I had a class called Hebrew Exegesis, which is basically a, a fancy term for, hey, we're going to give you a passage. You're going to have to translate it, um, do all the language work. And two of the projects were uh, write a write a sermon for uh, uh, for the text that we give you. So one of the passages that we were given was Ruth uh, chapter one, and we had to pick a section of the text there. And so I did it. And my uh, my my teacher said, "Hey, that was you know that's a that's a good sermon." I'm like, oh, thank you, um, thanks for the A, perfect. Uh, <laughs> and she's like, "You should you should totally preach it sometime." I said, "Okay." Well, a couple days after that. Um, I was, uh, uh, let me back up. I have family that lives in Hawaii. That's a very huge blessing because if we can somehow get the plane tickets out there, we have a place to stay. 
And so we had been planning to go in mid-August, and, and my, uh, uh, my dad calls me a couple days after this project's done, right? And he's like, hey, I know you're going to be out. And uh, he said, I've never seen you preach in person before. And I was like, yeah? I said, there's some YouTube videos, Dad. That you can. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I've watched those before. But he's like, I want to see you preach live. Would you preach when you're out here? So it just so happens that I had, um, uh, you know, had that, that sermon there. I said, yes, Dad, I'll, I'll, I'll do it for you. Because he's, he, uh, uh, and so two weeks ago, uh, I was, when I was in Hawaii visiting family, I was able to, to preach and be with my dad. And it was an awesome time. Like, it was just, um, it's a really tiny church and mostly there's a lot of Filipinos in the church. My dad's full-blooded Filipino, if you didn't know that. Um, that's where this beautiful bronze skin comes from. And, um, and so uh, I, I preached a sermon and it was a, uh, it was a great weekend. And it was great to just be in a place, actually, for me personally, where um, my dad's faith had been formed. The pastor, actually, of that church um, not that much older than my dad, but he was instrumental back in the 70s of bringing my dad to faith. And so it was like, I had this like epiph- epiphany of a moment, you know, where I was like, I was there sitting, waiting to preach and realizing, you know, um, the impact like that this pastor in this church had had on my dad way back in the day that it was, it was almost like, man, that, that affected me as a believer and that heritage is being passed on to my kids. And it was, it was beautiful, um, but I, I started, uh, uh, as I was there, um, uh, I, preached, I preached a sermon, and it's called Return Empty, and all that background information is just, that was all freebie. That's not part of the sermon, so if you stand up, we're going to read this text. Um, I'm going to read this text, and you can follow along on your uh, device, or if you have the Bible, the paper copy with you, fantastic. And I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. It's Ruth 1, verses 19 through 22. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. God, as we read your text and we, we try to mine it for the gold that, that you want to bring to us, um, as we sang, God, um, speak the truth to us. Speak what is true into our hearts in these next few moments in your name. Amen. You may have a seat. So um, this idea of returning on empty, you know that uh, when I think about that, like returning on empty is, is I think of when you rent a car, right? And they, they say, hey, you got to return it full, all right? Or if it's like a, if you're borrowing it from a friend, it's a kind thing to do. If you're renting it from a place, they usually charge you some, you know, twice the amount of gas per gallon if you return it empty. I also think of a time when I um, was training to run uh, triathlons and like my first triathlon was out in um, Chicago and it was like uh, 
basically it was, it's, triathlon is swim, bike, run. So you got to swim for like a mile, you got to bike for 40K and then run for 10K was the one I was doing. And they have longer ones like the Ironman and such, which I, I never decided to touch because you got to, you literally have to, have to make it like your part-time job to, to train. You just got to put in the hours. But I was doing this and I remember the first time I did it and it, it took me about three hours. And I remember finishing and being so like famished, so empty, as empty as I had ever been, and just want, after I caught my breath, you know, there's a table with bananas, and I'm grabbing everything, and bagels, and Gatorade, and everything, and just, just like I needed to refuel. Um, but of course, when we talk about this, this kind of emptiness and, and, uh, in our lives, oftentimes we... Um, we can, especially as pastors, I've, I can't tell you how many seasons of youth ministry that I've finished over the past 17 years that I've been a youth pastor, get to the end of summer camp and you're just drained. You know, ministry, um, there's something about serving in ministry and you don't have to be a pastor to experience this, don't get me wrong, but for me as a youth pastor, I would get to the end of it and feel like, man, I've just poured, God, I've poured out everything. I just feel empty. I just feel like I'm so drained and there's been times and it's usually around this time, like mid-August, well, I guess end of August now, was mid-August, where, where I'm like looking at the fall semester and saying, God, I don't know if I have anything left in the tank. I don't know if I have anything left to give. Because oftentimes when you're doing, um, when you're trying to live for God and especially if you get to moments where you're just living on your own power, it drains you. It drains you. And if you're not constantly feeding on God's word and feeding on his presence, there's an emptiness that comes out of living life. And, and it's usually around this time that I would, I would try to get away for maybe a night or two. And um, remember I had friends who had a, uh, a place out in New Buffalo that I would just go. And I'd just go out by myself for a night or two and just, um, just take you know, walks and just pray and um, break out the calendar and just pray over what God wanted to speak to the students this, this coming semester um, and just recharge my heart because life will often return us on E, right? Life will often return us on empty. And there's so many, um, uh, there's so many things um, that will, will just take more than they give. And often, often it may be work, maybe responsibilities. And um, I want you to think about that this morning as we study this text. Um, when is it that you feel battered down, depleted, empty, um, finding yourself aching or longing for that sense of like rest and normal? Um, emptiness is not, it's not a great feeling. And I think there's something that, that kind of, throws us out of whack when we feel empty. And um, sometimes theologians call this uh, like a dark night of the soul. And sometimes it's even when we feel like, you know, we're trying to do the disciplines, right? We're trying to read our Bibles. We're showing up at church like, okay, God, what, you know, what is happening? I just don't feel like I can be filled. And a dark night of the soul is not necessarily a theological term, but we see it all over scripture. Moments when it feels like our souls are sucked dry, wondering if God is there. Um, though we know God is everywhere, 
at like a head level, at a heart and soul level, it feels like he's, he's distant and it feels like our soul just kind of goes dark. Even Mother Teresa, um, I had found this quote. She says, said one time, I, I'm told that God loves me. And yet sometimes the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. And how do you respond when you experience those kinds of things? Things that break your heart. Be honest, when I, you know, when I was uh, leading that song and, and we, I asked you to pray for yourself, your family, our community, our country, there were a lot of things that were entering into my mind, right, that, that I needed to give to God because there, there are things and events and circumstances that for me just leave me empty and sometimes bitter and broken. And it's like, man, what do I do with that? What do I do? I, I mean, the things that, that have been happening, you know, especially across the, uh, uh, across the world over in a, a, a little tiny country called Afghanistan, right? If anybody's been watching the news. Like as someone who's, who's, who's now a part of the military and a part of the army, and that's, that kind of hits a, a, little bit, a little bit different for me now. And I, I think about that. And when I hear about um, 13 service members that, that were, were killed in an explosion, my heart breaks just a little bit more than it did before. Because I, I, and I, I think of, of families now, right? And I know that as I get ready to enter into um, active duty uh, at some point next year, probably next spring, um, that there's going to be a lot of times where I'm going to be talking with either parents or spouses who are going to be coming back empty, right? Because of a situation that has happened. And maybe their, their soldier didn't die, didn't, didn't pass away, but, but being in the battle and being part of that leaves them empty, right? And where do we go for hope? Who do we, who do we point to? Um, do we get cynical? Do we get anxious? Do we get overly emotional um, when things go dark? How do we, we respond? And as we dive into the, the, the text, um, just a little background on the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth comes uh, right after the book of Judges. Yes. Great job, Hunter. Hunter graduated from my youth ministry. I take credit for that. So. No, I don't actually. His, his parents would probably, uh, you know, did him right. But um, it comes after the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, there's one phrase that sticks out. Um, to me. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Yes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That was like the theme. And Judges was this, it was like God, God called Abraham, right? And he called his people to, to be this blessing and to, to be his people. You will be my people and I will be your God. And so go and be this light and take this message. And, and, the, and the story starts to unfold. And, and finally, God brings his people out of Egypt and, and gives him Joshua as a leader to bring him to the land, to conquer the land, to finally live as the people of God. And you get to the book of Judges, and it's like all the people have decided, man, my way is better. Or they say, hey, we've now seen these people over here. They seem to be having a great life. Let's live like them. And they are found empty and wanting, and they, they you know, the, 
the result of their sin brings them to this place where they cry out to God and say, God, help me, help us. And God has mercy on them and brings them a, a leader, a judge to kind of lead them into the path of following him. But then they go all, all you know, they, they go back and, and go all over again. But when I think of that, that's where the book of Ruth is, 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 is found, right? And, and I think that even if you read Judges today, um, that idea that everyone did what was right in their own eyes, I mean, isn't that the theme of our world? Isn't that where we find ourselves? In a land and a place where no one wants to have, wants to be told what to do or how to live. No one wants that foundation. They simply want to do what is right in their own eyes. I think that, that unfortunately, oftentimes we see the dire consequences of that. And we've been commissioned by God to, to live out this truth that he has something to say and speak into us and into our lives. And so here's where we discover the, nor- the story of Ruth and um, uh, even more prominently, Naomi. You know, I think this, 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 the book of Ruth is, ironically, even um, you see it's, it's much more about uh, Naomi's journey and not just Ruth's, Ruth's journey. And so Naomi, here's what happens in the prior verses, if, you, if you've read uh, the book of Ruth before. She left, left uh, the land that she lived in. She actually was from Bethlehem. She left with her husband and two sons to go to Moab because of a famine, right? And if you think about that, is that what they were supposed to do, right? If, if they're called to live in the land that God's provided for them, all of a sudden things get hard, and she's, like, she's got these two sons, she's got this husband. She says, you know what? Things aren't so great for us here in this new land that God gave us. Let's go to Moab. Well, Moab wasn't part of God's land. The Moabites weren't part of God's people. They weren't living after God. And so you see, it kind of opens up with this disobedience, essentially, that Naomi and her husband decided, hey, let's just do what's right in our own eyes. Let's go to Moab. We'll find out what's going on there. And um, so they go to Moab, and her two sons marry foreign women, right? Which at, at that time and that place in history was forbidden. God said, hey, don't, don't marry some of these people of the tribes that you're conquering because their wicked ways will influence you in a way that is not good. And what happens is, unfortunately, for Naomi and these two foreign women, all the men in the family die, right? They, uh, the, Naomi's husband dies, her two sons dies, die, and um, uh, Ruth and Orpah, the two women who married her sons, um, they, they wept. They were like, they just, they, they're in this emptiness of a situation, and Naomi says, you know what? I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. Um, you two stay here, you're from here. And it says, uh, they wept openly. Um, it says, uh, Orpah stayed in Moab, but Ruth clung to her mother-in-law. He, she clung to Ruth. And she says, uh, where you go, I'll go. Um, your God will be my God. And so 
the two decide to journey back to Bethlehem and uh, we find our text and they come back, right? Verse 19, it says, when they came back to Bethlehem, the whole city was in a stir on account of them. And the women said, could this be Naomi or is this Naomi, right? And the city was all in a commotion and you think about that as it, it's, um, it, it's, a small, it's a small town, it's a small village, right? They all know Naomi, they knew when, when that she had gone and she comes back and they're like, is that, is that her? Is this Naomi? Like, could this be the, the woman that we knew prior and previously? Right? She probably still had connections there, relationships there. And it says that they were essentially in shock. Right? And it was kind of the, the talk of the town and not necessarily like a, a positive talk of the town. And you can imagine the questions. Hey, where's your husband? Where's your sons? Where's the family that you left with? You're coming here all alone with this, this foreigner who's with you. Who's she? And, and, and looking at her life and what had become of it, and it perhaps you know, it took a lot of courage for her to come back, but she seems desperate to survive. And you imagine that, that the, the townspeople were like, really, this, could this be Naomi? Verse 20, she said to them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And so here we get an, an insight into the natural human response, right? When things go wrong, is that um, we, we can get bitter, we can get angry. Now names are very significant in scripture. They're not given lightly, and they're often seen as a part of a person's identity, right? You think of the, like when, when uh, Abram's name is changed to Abraham or when Jacob's name is changed to Israel or when, when uh, uh, Jesus changes uh, Peter's name from, from Simon to Peter, Paul goes from Saul to Paul. And so um, we see Naomi trying to take on a new identity. Now, Naomi has, uh, uh, the, the name Naomi means uh, this, if you don't know, means my delights, my delight. So Naomi comes in and she's essentially saying, hey, don't, don't call me my delight. There's nothing delightful about my situation and about my life. She says, call me Mara. Call me Mara, which literally means bitter. Like I, the only, the connection that I, I think of when I read that is, is in, in, in the book of, um, ooh, I think it's Numbers, uh, where Moses comes to a place and they can't drink the water, right? Because they're on this journey and they said, this, this, this place is called Mara because the water's bitter, we can't drink it. And so Naomi comes and she says, call me Mara because I'm, uh, the, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Um, ouch, that's not, that's not a great place to be. Verse 21, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? Again, strong words when you're talking about the Lord. And as I was studying this passage, like in the original uh, languages, I, I remember coming across this and I, I remember thinking, this, this kind of sticks out to me, right? Because she doesn't say, you would, you would expect her to say, I went away full and I came back empty. 
but she says, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. She's like, look at my life. Look what's become of it. Don't call me my delight. I'm a bitter mess. Some of our translations, it says, uh, um, when the Lord is, don't call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me. Um, there's other, there's another, this is, this is, all right, this is going to be like seminary nerd talk, right? Okay. So if some of you know that uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, well, at, at one point, there were a bunch of scribes that translated it into Greek. Because by the time uh, of the times of Jesus, a lot of them were studying this Greek version of the Old Testament. And so what scholars sometimes do is they'll, they'll try to compare words from the, from the Hebrew and say, oh, how did they translate it in the Greek? What Greek word did they, they use? And the Greek word that they used when they translated that way back in the day can also be translated humiliate. And there's this idea, God has humiliated me. I'm embarrassed. God has testified against me, humiliated me, and I am utterly ashamed. I have nothing left. And again, her theology is, I left full, God has brought me back empty. I was good when I left, but God brought me back empty. And I want to pause because for some of you, that might be exactly where you're at right now. Many of you, have, or if you're not there, many of you have been there before. And I simply want to just lay some groundwork in and say, if God is not big enough to hear our complaints and our cries and to say, God, why? Why? We see it all over the Psalms, right? God, how long? How long will you let my enemies triumph against me? How long will I feel this way? How long will this anxiety plague me? How long will this depression be settled in? God, how long will my child stray from you? God, how long will this boss treat me horribly? God, how long will my spouse treat me this way? How long, God, will I have to suffer under this disease or affliction of health? God, how long? Why? Why am I in this situation? I just want to say, God is big enough for that. He's big enough for that. Because if God is not big enough for our complaints and our frustrations, then he's not a God who's worthy of worship. And as Naomi's talking here, I mean, it reminds me of, of the story of Job, right? Where, where Job is in this situation saying, God, why? And she may not be in this position where Job is at, where Job says, but I will still say, blessed is your name. But she'll get there. She'll get there. And, and in the pain and in the suffering, it doesn't mean that God's going to fix things up with a nice bow. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's the end of the story. Verse 22, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Right? I, I 
thought it's interesting how even in the text, it's kind of emphasizing, hey, this, this woman is a, is a foreigner. She's a foreign woman. And if you know the, the, the story of Ruth and where it goes, right, Ruth ends up being the uh, grandmother or great-grandmother to who? To who? To King, not Jesus yet, to King David, yeah. She's like the great-grandmother to King David, And so she is in the line of Jesus, the Messiah. That's a pretty significant and pretty amazing thing when uh, you think about how she was a, she was a foreigner. She wasn't a part of God's people. And, And it's verses like this where you see these hints in the Old Testament about God grafting in, um, foreigners grafting in Gentiles into his plan even in the case of a uh, Israelite like, um, uh, like Naomi, who was connected to, to Ruth, kind of out of disobedience, right? She left, her, left her, her country. It says, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, this is one of those verses that seems to be kind of a transition point um, or just kind of like information, but it's, it's a beautifully crafted story. And I believe that, that, that there's, there's nothing in Scripture that is there by accident. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest, right? We live in, this is what, when I was in, when I was in Hawaii, like I was preaching this sermon, I'm like, yeah, I come from a, a rural community. So I had to talk to them about how I live amongst the corn and the soybeans and all that stuff. But you, we, we know this, right? When it's like harvest time, right? And, and Steve Halcom calls you and says, hey, we got plenty of sweet corn. Come cut, take all that you want, right? Or, uh, you know, Ruthie Jankowski says, hey, I have this abundance of tomatoes. Like, take it, take it. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. And some of you are into gardening. Some of you have, have, have that. And, and we, we love it. We love when we see it, right? And it's like the harvest time. You go out and you, you take your family apple picking, right? Like, the, like uh, uh, Scott was saying earlier that he took his family apple picking just the other day. Yesterday, was it, Scott? Yeah. And so, um, so that idea of an abundant harvest is, is, so, is so ripe with metaphor in the scriptures. It's no coincidence that Naomi was, was coming back to Bethlehem at this time because when you think of a harvest and you think of like all the abundance of food that comes with a good harvest, what do you think of? Being full again, right? That basic physical need of having your, your stomach filled, of knowing that you're gonna be able to feed your family. And, and, and at, at a time like this in the ancient world, Again, they didn't, it's not, you couldn't go to the grocery store and just be like, oh, go to the market. Hey, I got some, you know, we flew in some tomatoes from, uh, you know, South America or whatever. It's like, you just can't do that. It's maybe, you know, this, this one time in, in harvest time where you're excited and thrilled because you knew that you were going to be full. And it's no coincidence that she comes back at this time. And of course, she heard about it and decided to travel back, like, hey, there's food there. But God had bigger purposes and bigger plans than she could ever imagine, and she just couldn't see it yet. God wanted to fill her with more than food. She may have come back empty, but she was going to leave full. And if you know the story of Ruth, you know that she does end up leaving full. Because how much fuller can you get than to have been a part of 
the lineage of King David and eventually King Jesus, the Messiah, who rescues and redeems and restores all people, that the pain that she experienced, God was using, was using for his purpose and his story. And if there's one word that I I would kind of summarize as we study this passage or one phrase, it's this. Sometimes God empties us in order to fill us more full than we could have ever imagined. I'll say it again. Sometimes God empties us in order to fill us more full than we could ever imagine. So the emptiness that we sometimes struggle with and that we sometimes feel, we have to understand, right? A harvest may be just around the corner. And this is not a prosperity gospel. It's not a health and wealth. Hey, God wants to, you know, fill your barns and bless you with lots of money. No. But understand that when we find ourselves empty, when God leaves us empty, sometimes it's because he wants to fill us fuller than we can ever have known or ever imagined. And that's our hope. Because at harvest time, you get the fruit of the harvest. And as I was studying this, I, I was thinking, well, what's an example in, in, in the time of Jesus um, or uh, in the Gospels of this? And I, I was drawn immediately to John 15, right? Where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, you'll have what? A big harvest. You'll, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. There's nothing that you can do if you're apart from me. Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And sometimes God will pull us to the place where he wants us totally, to totally and utterly depend on him for everything. <clears throat> and you guys, you just, you never know. You never know where God's going to lead you. You never know where, what God's going to do and how he wants to fill that emptiness. When I preached this sermon a couple weeks ago at my aunt's church, um, I'm thinking, you know, I, like the pastor, I communicated with the pastor beforehand and said, hey, you want to preach? Said, yeah, I told him the story. Said, yeah, I've been in this class. I got this sermon and, and she said I should preach it. And so I'm going to preach it at your church. It's like, okay, he didn't even ask what it was or when it, what it was. Um, what the theme was. And um, so I go to preach it. Uh, here's a little, a little background. Um, my, um, my, my, dad, uh, my dad, my parents got divorced um, a while back, like back in 2007 or 2008. And uh, I remember it was, it was such, a, such a hard time. And I remember um, my dad, uh, and, and I used this illustration when I, when I preached there in front of him without using his name because I didn't want to say it. But when he was going through the divorce, one of the things that stuck out to me was, this is the hardest thing I've ever been through. Like, I feel so empty. He's like, but I've never felt closer to God than I have right now in going through this painful situation. So I'm preaching this sermon in Hawaii, and my, my dad has remarried, and he married a, uh, um, an awesome Filipino woman, and she has a niece. And uh, 
the niece has two daughters, and they were actually in Hawaii with us, right? So um, I, don't, I could try to explain how, you know, I'm related to them now. But it, anyway, it's my stepmom's niece that is there, if you're tracking, and her two daughters, right? These three women. And um, they're there, and they came to church with them. And, they, and when they got there, I was like, hey, how's it going? And they're pretty, they're just kind of quiet. Um, her nieces, her daughters are in, in high school. And uh, we went to the church, and I preached this sermon. And um, a couple days later, um, like two days later, my aunt had been talking to uh, this, this niece and her two daughters. And, um, and, and she was telling my aunt how much this sermon meant to her. She didn't say this to me. She, she said this to my aunt. How much it meant to her because um, within like two weeks before the trip, um, her husband had just left her and like went to Florida or something and it just basically abandoned her. And she's, she was on this trip and she's, she's like, you know, it's like, oh yeah, it's Hawaii, but, but you know, you could be in paradise and you, if your heart is broken and longing, it doesn't matter where you are. And my aunt said to me, you know, you never know these pieces that God will use to minister. I'm thinking of her you know, my stepmom's niece is now not widowed, but she's been abandoned. She's like, I feel empty. And in that moment, she allowed the text to just fill her with hope. Fill her with hope that God has a plan, that God has a harvest, that God is still in control. And so church, my encouragement to you this morning, is: where do you need hope? Where is your soul dark? Where is your heart in need of, of, of the presence of God? And that as we enter into this week to set aside time to simply say, here's my heart, Lord. Fill it with your harvest. Fill it with the good things that I know you want to provide. Take the time to be there. God hasn't left. He hasn't abandoned. He never will. It's tempting to stay in that bitterness and to think all is dark and lost, but sometimes we need to, to come to that place and admit that emptiness in order for God to fill us. Amen? Heavenly Father, I just pray over all of us in this room that we, God, would be people who, when we are empty, we look to you to be full. God, help us to... Um, uh, Experience the goodness of your presence this week as we walk in light of your truth. And may you grant us wisdom and guidance, discernment, um, but most of all, the, uh, the love that we need to follow you with all of our hearts. And as we do so, God, would you just fill us. I pray for any broken hearts in this room, anyone who is, is just battling with the darkness, God that you let them know that you have not left them, that you are here and that you want to fill them. In your name we pray, amen.